Hi, and welcome to episode 55 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is Alexander Mackenzie. In Alexander's paintings, the sun is usually below the horizon, but it's left a low light, which reveals a manicured garden or a hill covered in trees, and there'll probably be water nearby, the sea, a lake, a channel, still but brightly reflecting the sky, and one thing's for sure, you're going to venture in for a closer look. Because at first it might look familiar, but as you get closer you realise it's not a place that you're likely to find on this earth. And you'll discover things that you didn't notice at first glance. It might be a closed gate with its key lost somewhere else in the painting, a bridge taking you to another place, a red flag warning you to reconsider. And those elements are not accidental. They've been deliberately placed there by the artist who is himself looking for answers where spirituality is key. Even the symbols in his portraiture lend themselves to a metaphoric interpretation. He's had 25 solo shows. He's been a finalist in the Archibald six times, seven times in the win, and he's hugely popular. Alexander's shows often sell out, and his superb mid-career survey show, The Adventurous Gardener, which is on at Hazelhurst Regional Gallery in Sydney until 21st October, has been what could be called a blockbuster for a regional gallery, with 2,000 people going through the doors on the first weekend. We recorded this episode in Alexander's studio with some of his paintings in progress propped up on milk crates around the walls. Those are probably going to end up at Martin Brown Contemporary for his November solo show. All the works we talk about are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. I started by asking Alexander where he grew up and what he remembers of art as a child. My father was, was in the Merchant Navy, but... By the time we had, were born, he left the Navy and he worked for um, in child welfare agencies. Oh, okay. So we moved around. He got, he got posted around the place. So he got moved a lot and we obviously got dragged with him. But most of the postings were on um, big estates in the country. Oh. Um, and you lived there um, In on New South site. Wales? Hmm. Oh, okay. So Musselbrook, Katoomba, Bowral, Parramatta, oh. all over the place. Right. So we lived on these big estates in big old crazy houses um, and we had a lot of time, I guess, to ourselves. Dad, was I wouldn't say he was artistic, but he, he used to tell a lot of stories and he'd illustrate the stories to us as kids. That, so that was his way of storytelling. He'd sit down and draw as he was, as he was telling the stories. Wow. Like with pencil? With pencil, yeah. Yeah, of um, a lot of things about the war. You know, Dad grew up during the war and yeah. you know, had a lot of stories about being bombed and um, the bombing of Glasgow and evacuations. And yeah, he was Sc- so he was born in Scotland. He was Scottish, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of that kind of um, coloured how we grew up. You know, what about school? What about art at school? Did you always did, did you do it in high school? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the kid who um, who used to draw in their margins characters of the teachers and you know get in trouble and people would would come to me and ask me to draw their title page and all right you know and I I even had a I remember I had a thing in there um in one of my school books called the hall of fame and I drew every single person in our year so as in like caricature caricatures and drawings yeah right 
Yeah, but I, I mean, I painted painted a lot at home as a child, and mm. I mean, that's, that's some some of that in the book about how mm. how Mum gave me a studio of, at eleven. So yeah, I know that's phenomenal. When I read that, I was so jealous. And you might, and I, I mean, I think you don't really get the significance of that until you have your own children, and then you realise actually that's kind of a major um, personality forming step that happened that she gave me the 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 room and the um the liberty to do that Mm. i mean if if that if she had changed her mind or decided not to or if she was one of those those women so who who didn't like mess or you know whatever it could have changed a lot of things yeah definitely i'm very fortunate in that way she must have um seen that in you you know um at a very early age that that was something that she you know she wanted to nurture you know yeah and it must have been so kind of problematic <laughs> you know, the mess and the kind of relentlessness <laughs> of it I mean if I do it my kids do something like that once or twice you'd kind of go okay well, that's enough but <laughs> they're doing it all the time I mean so okay so imagine. how old were you when you had your own space like that that was 11 so that right. was a room in one of those big houses on the estates and did you what what did you do what painting did you do were you just exploring your own work what, what were you doing? I, I, to be honest, I, I don't recall a lot of them. Um, I mean, we have some things that have kind of survived and some of them are landscapes, some of them are people, some of them are kind of made-up kind of things, views yeah. of the room, like all sorts of things. Yeah. I think I just enjoyed the whole idea about, about making something that, from nothing and, and starting with a blank... I mean, I, I, I like blank canvases now. Some people find them intimidating, but I think there's nothing more exhilarating than all these blanks in front of you because there's so much kind of potential. And yeah, definitely. And was, were they, was it acrylics or...? Uh, I don't yeah, I don't remember. Mm. don't remember. Yeah. Must well, have been. Surely she, nice. surely she wouldn't have given us oil. <laughs> <laughs> you probably would have remembered if it was oil, actually. Yeah. Here, <laughs> but, have some terps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Um, but then you end up getting your own, like, purpose-built studio right, for yourself. Yeah. And how did that, that how did that, well, how we, old were you when that happened? We moved again and um, I would have been 16 or 17, I guess. Oh, so yeah. that's at the end of high school. Right. And um, same problem, this house had no space and I was actually painting in the bedroom, oh. which was, and that was oil at that point because I do remember that was a problem. Mm. Uh, with the smell of the, the turps and things. Mm. And so they deliberately built me a studio in the backyard. Oh, wow. That must have been amazing. So I sort of started working in that and that was before the end of high school, so year 11, I think. Mm. So, so obviously art was a big deal for you in high school. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. when... So you did it for the HSC? Yeah, never okay. made Art Express, by the way. <laughs> Just add that in. Okay, what was your major work? Uh, I, th- I think draw. I can't remember. They're kind of composite drawings of of um, different artists that I admired. I think at the time. Oh, okay. So it wasn't paint. It wasn't painting. It was. Well, it was multimedia, uh, which was kind of the thing in 1988. Yeah, and by the way, for people who don't know, Art Express is like the they choose. They pick the creme de la creme of the HSC students, the Year 12 students, and they go to the art gallery in New South Wales and travel around after that. Okay, so what happened after high school? Well, I went um, went to art school because that you know that's 
super fascinated by art, I'm going to art school. Yeah. So I went to art school, enrolled at um, City Art Institute. Oh, which yeah, is, yeah. Later became COFA. Um, and hated it and dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What happened? Well, I thought I was, I thought I would love it. I was, you know, super excited to go and it was, but it was just not for me. Right. Mm. What, what, what did you, what were you looking for at that point? Well, by that point I had been kind of painting, you know, quite a lot for, I don't know, maybe, maybe eight years or something. So I didn't, I wanted to keep painting. I didn't want to go and do experiments with photography or ceramics or video or mm. computer work or anything. Mm. I mean, as fascinating as that might have been and, you know, maybe perhaps I should have stuck with it, but I was interested in painting. That's all I really yeah, yeah. wanted to do. Um, and they weren't and doing any fair. painting there? I weren't doing any painting. It was oh, foundation right. year, so a little tiny bit, but, you know, one oh. session a week or something. So you weren't expecting, you must not have been expecting that. No, no, it was completely not how I thought it was going to play out. Uh, oh. So I stormed off, yeah. you know, one <laughs> super rainy, stormy day out of the drawing room after I was told to use my left hand. <laughs> my right hand was, um, had too much facility. Oh, God. So I stormed right. out and, um, and it started to absolutely <laughs> hammer down with rain on Oxford Street and I took off because I was getting drenched and I stood outside this little tiny bookshop um, because it had an awning. Oh, Yeah. And I stood there because I was trying to get out of the rain. And as I gazed through the window of the bookshop, there was a flyer um, stuck on the, on the inside of the, the window for Julian Ashton. And I thought, that looks pretty good. Yeah, well, Jill, well we've, ta- I, we've often talked about Julian Ashton on the podcast um, because it's, that, it's a traditional sort of art school where you learn classical techniques and all that sort of thing. So obviously, so, so you, had you heard of it before? No. Oh, no. you've never heard of it before? No, never heard of it. So I, I, I got on a bus and I went down to the, the quay and I enrolled in Ashton's and I was there for four years. How did you feel when you walked in? Yeah, it was fantastic. You, you, sounds like a nightmare if you're not interested, but you, you stand there and you draw all day, every day. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, did you I start off it. in the drawing room? Start off in the cast room. Yep. Progress to life drawing. Yeah. Yeah, right. Day in, day out. And what it does is it teaches... It teaches your hand to achieve what your eye is looking at. So mm. you, you you make that that connection, that motor connection between your hands and your mind. So you can then hopefully leave and do create with your hands what you're imagining with your mind. Mm. So that was incredibly important. But it costs heaps of money. It's it's expensive, and I didn't have any money. So what did you do? Well, I went a little bit. Um, as much as I could kind of scrape together. Um, but then about a couple of months in, um, they, they, I had a conversation with the principal, Paul Del Pratt, at the time. Oh, yeah. And he noticed what I was doing and he, he said, why aren't you coming more? And I said, I don't have any money. Mm. And so he offered me what was known as the garbage scholarship. <laughs> What's that? Well, that's the scholarship where you don't have a scholarship. So you, you take the bins <laughs> out, you sweep the floors, you clean the studio. Oh, right. And I did that every day. And in return for that, I got to go, I got to come and have tuition. Actually, that's a small price to pay, isn't it? Was. it? yeah. Oh, and also he must have seen how, you know, how much talent you had, you know. 
Yeah, uh, I guess. I mean, generous for sure, and you know, I'm uh, definitely thankful that that, yeah. was, that was made possible. So, right, and, and so, and so, do you think that that those four years um, taught you everything you needed to know to for oil painting? I don't think one ever knows everything one needs to know for oil painting. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, but it definitely it gives you that foundation that I think is important. Um, mm. And, you know, some people leave there and go on to work in a, in, a, in a manner or a style that is unrelated to that. But nonetheless, you have that kind of at your core. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that, that was super important for yeah. me. Yeah. And so what, you know... Recently, a listener to the podcast wrote on Instagram, um, it was Emma actually, she says, can you just ask the artists what artists they, you know, were interested in? When And I thought, oh my God, I can't believe I haven't been asking that from day one. But oh. anyway, so I'm going to ask you, what artists were you um, looking at at that point, were they, were they, you know, when you were at Julian Ashton? Jeez. <laughs> that, that, is, that is really hard because... There is so there is so many people that you, I was interested in. One of the one of the f- first things that kind of really, as a, even before that, that sparked my attention and and grabbed me and, and sort of dragged me into that whole world was this really kind of early nineteen eighties publication called The Great Artists. I don't know if anybody has <laughs> ever heard of that, but it was like a magazine, and you and you kind of very thin magazine on one artist per week that you bought from the news agency. Oh, and yeah. And it cost like, you know, two bucks or something. And they went through everybody. Leonardo, oh. Michelangelo, Degas, Monet, Manet, you know. Um, and you collected the whole set. You know, and I, I did that for years. And um, oh. I loved them all. Like, I loved them all. I loved the one on Kandinsky. I loved, yeah. loved the one on, on Paul Clay. I loved the one on Renoir. I loved them, I loved them all. So, uh, so there, I, to try and pick out who I was, super, who, who I was madly keen on, there was certainly a phase where I loved uh, Turner and there was a phase uh, where I loved, mm, uh, you know, Bronzino. Mm, um, mm. So we're kind yeah, of yeah. rolling around from, from things to... Yeah. And that's all important because it kind of... It teaches you that there's so many different approaches to the same thing. Mm. I used to love at art school when we'd be all painting the same thing. So you have this, you'd be given a, um, uh, a limited palette, all have the same colours, mm. you're in the same, virtually the same room, just different angles, the same subject, but 12 completely different interpretations. And the, the real journey that happens after art school is finding that what it is, what that means for you, how, what's your interpretation on it, how, do you, how are you going to relate to the world that you see, how are mm. you going to describe it, what does that mean for you, finding that voice and that's what style is and that's what kind of yeah. taste is, it's that, it's that working that out and it takes a very long time to, to do that. Mm. Do you think it, it has to, you, you, you have to um, sort of accept the way you do, uh, what am I trying to get at? Do you because often when you look at your own work, you sort of think, oh, I don't like it, or there's something about it that's, it looks like you did, as, as John Bocor said, actually, it looks like you did it, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but somehow you have to sort of see it objectively and, yes. and say, I like that, I suppose. Do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't know one, whether one ever likes what, what you create. I don't necessarily ever really like what I do, but 
Really? No, no. But you're driven to do it and you kind of, you don't really have a choice. I always feel like people that are really compelled to, to paint and make pictures do it out of, a, out of a necessary compulsion rather than a kind of desire. It's mm. like a difference. Mm. Well, just going back briefly to the um, artists mm. that you, you were interested in, uh, a lot of people refer to, when they talk about your work, they refer to the Dutch painters of the Golden Age, which were in the 17th century. Um, and you're shaking your head. What, what's your memory of being influenced by, by those sort of painters? Well, after I left art school, I went to Europe and, um, and based all my kind of travelling around Europe on museums and looking at art and making pictures um, either directly from things I was looking at uh, or in the ca- copying old masters as well. Mm. So that was, that was, again, one of those kind of moments where it's you know, really influential in what you do because you, you're looking at how, how they were making those pictures, not just in subject matter, but how they were, how they were constructing them, how they were putting to get them together, what were they, how much energy was going into certain bit, what was, what was the materials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So, yes, for sure, all of those, those painters from that period were, um, were influential, but so too were you know, barbers and school painters in France or the Renaissance or, or mm. the American kind of school, you know, around people like Homer and things. Mm. I, I, for some reason, that kind of little tagline has been kind of <laughs> proliferated. I think it was written in like 1996 or something <laughs> by a friend of mine who wrote it to try and gain some publicity at some point. And it's just kind of hung around. I it's know. stuck. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it must have also has got something to do with the that light. I mean, yeah, the uh, softness yeah, of the light the low and light. the kind of you know the, the my interest in kind of working in a sort of very indirect way, I suppose. Rather, you know, it's not a I don't work in a kind of alla prima, very direct manner. It's all about building up layers and glazing and scumbling and kind of paintings that are kind of built from the ground up. You know? mm. Which is something which is more identifiable with those with painters. That era, yeah, yeah, perhaps, with that era. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to go back a few years because about uh, to talk about your first group show. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell that, <laughs> confess that story. Yeah, can you tell me the sure. story about how you got into your first group show, which I think was after Julian It was Ashton, after. Wasn't? It was at the end of my time at Ashton. So um, everybody had done their time there and we're all busting to try and start exhibiting and... And there was somebody organised a big group show for the star students of that year, oh, which, yeah. which of course I wasn't in. Um, and this was at the old Holdsworth Galleries in Holdsworth Street in Wallara. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it came the time for everyone to deliver their works and the, the sign was up and the, the catalogue had been printed and things. So I turned up. I took my works there. I turned up with about <laughs> six paintings and said, look, I'm here to deliver the Alexander Mackenzie works for the such and such show. And they, they looked at me and they kind of looked, they was like, your name is not on the list. And I said, no, no, I'm just, I'm just delivering them. The, 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 that catalogue there has been reprinted. You'll get the new <laughs> ones uh, turning up this afternoon. Here's the work. Bye. And I took off. Um, <laughs> and they hung the work and fortuitously they sold. And, and that's Did how I got my Did anybody say anything? 
from Julian Ashton. I can't. I can't remember, <laughs> but I do have. I do have the invites deal with all the names of the artists included, and I'm not on it. Like, <laughs> there was no reprint ever done, <laughs> and that's how I started showing. And that's luckily the gallery director at that time there. Um, later on, went on to start her own gallery, which was King Street Gallery, and that's how I got introduced oh, that's to her. Randy Linegar. That's yeah. Randy Linegar, and, that, and then yeah. I started with them. Um, you know, a couple of years later. That's right. Yeah, so you were at King Street for a while. Mm. Yeah, what a great story. Well, there you go. You know, it's a confession, don't we? <laughs> and there's, uh, there's a second part of that confession, actually, which I hadn't mentioned, which is while the works were up on the wall, what I used to do is get, um, get uh, friends of mine to ring up and make inquiries about them. <laughs> so I'd say, you've got to ring this and, and pretend you're, you're a... Um, you're a really interested client <laughs> up the <laughs> So they'd ring up and say, look, I just saw this work. Have you got any more? And they said, no, I'm sorry, they've, they've sold, but I'll ring the artist. And so my phone would be ringing in the other room um, asking about new works. And it kind, of, it kind of, I guess, manufactured this interest. <laughs> in <the work. laughs> it's made you more in demand. That's right. And they were like, we've got we to gotta find out who this is. I'm creating here. a buzz. Well, let me take you to jump. Let's jump forward to a few years later, to about two, 2004, I think it was, where an element, a new element was coming through, and mm. something that's carried right through to today, and that mm. is this introduction of a more man-made uh, element, and mm. and the idea that a man has been in that environment, in that yeah. landscape, and that's probably characterised a lot by sort of manicured gardens, more of a garden idea, and then like canals and waterways, constructed waterways, mm. a lot of water is mm. happening. How did, do, 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 was there any reason for that? What, what, what caused you to move more in that direction? That's a probably hard question to answer, but at the, given when, how long ago it happened, but I guess there was a point where I realised that uh, I could make landscape paintings that uh, were not just about depicting the world that I was looking at, that, that they, could, they could have another message, they could have another idea behind them, they could have this idea of a narrative that they could evoke something else other than just a description of a place. Mm. So they could transition, they could become a metaphor, they could become a story, they could become a fable, they could become multiple different things and that there's a point I think around about that time where it, it gelled or it started to gel and it started to kind of evolve into that mm. and that's when they became uh, more constructed and more artificial, still, still retaining naturalistic elements and real things and real trees and real uh, skies and colours and tonalities and things but mm. they, they started to take on this kind of otherness and yeah and it was it was it do you think it's because it was more interesting to you as a yeah. person yeah I mean I was making I was making work um that was that was not landscape as well mm. um a little bit before that time um so, so I was trying to trying to get that idea that that paintings can have lots of different levels of interest and intrigue and they can have voices on different levels. So mm. how do I make a work that 
is going to speak to me on an aesthetic level, but also on other levels about yeah. story and narrative and metaphor and symbolism. How do I do that? Yeah, well, well, from that time on, it has just evolved into these most magnificent paintings that are filled with what you're talking about. So symbolism, metaphor, yeah. um, and I'd love to spend just a few minutes looking at one painting in particular so we can sort of get into that a bit more because it's sure. so exciting. Um, and I'll bring you right up to this year, <laughs> from 2004 to 2018. And I should mention you've got an amazing uh, mid-career survey show on at um, Hazelhurst Gallery in Sydney. And we were just there a few minutes ago. I've been there, I went a couple of weeks ago as well. And the work I wanted to talk about, it's called More Than Many Sparrows. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's, uh, it's huge. I think it's the largest painting you've ever painted for an exhibition. For an exhibition, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, it's three and a half metres long and it's, it's roughly two metres high. And it's this absolutely beautiful depiction of a landscape. It's, a, it's an, as you say, you're an imagined sort of landscape. And the horizon line is probably about, probably in the bottom quarter of the, of the canvas. And what we're looking at in the centre of this painting is a, it's like an, I, I think it's an island. It's possibly an island, but it's it's in the middle of, uh, say, it looks to me like a lake with a island in the middle and then there's land behind the island and around the sides of the island as well. And the, on the island itself, it, there's a number of trees. Some are leafless, um, the different types of trees. Uh, they're in front of this island. There's sort of rock formations that are uh, sort of half protruding out of the water. The water's very still, it's a very low light sort of um, scene and uh, with a suggestion of like a sunset on the left hand side and a gathering storm and then on the right hand side it's a bit lighter and you have um, a pretty distinctive pink tree that is behind a, another sort of green tree in front of it. Can you tell me a bit about where that, the title com comes from? It's More Than Many Sparrows. Sure. The title uh, specifically is a paraphrase from the book of Matthew um, about when Jesus talks uh, to um, the disciples that, that God loves them so much that he loves them, in fact, more than all the birds put together. That's kind of an, a measure of how much mm. um, God loves his people. So I've paraphrased it slightly. Um, and what it is, is it, it, how it plays out in the picture is that uh, it's a reference to that idea. So all my work is, um, is about direction and questions of um, looking for a, a pathway or a, uh, guidance through, through the painting itself, but on a, on a broader scale as a metaphor for how we seek guidance and direction and um, pathways through our life mm. in, a, in a broader sense. Mm. And, and you fill your paintings with symbols which point to, to those sort of, the sort of issues that we come across in our lives. Mm. So the big, big, the big issues in our the lives. Big picture. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was never really interested in making work about the kind of banality of every day, you know, sort of making works about kind of things that are just surround us in a, in a, in a kind of 
domestic setting or anything like that. I, I was always interested in paintings that, that address kind of big sweeping issues, mm. I guess. Um, and this, this one with its sort of vast sky that disappears into one side being very sort of clear and blue and the other side being dark and stormy is a, a really a, a, a big idea painting that, that there's two paths and two ways that we could go. And I use that duality in lots of paintings. Yeah, um, lots I've... of the portraits are about that duality of choice, mm. um, that, that, you know, the little changes we make in life and the little choices that we make and the little signs that we follow or shouldn't follow can often lead us in different directions. And um, mm. this, this picture is laden with kind of those that symbolic narrative and that, that idea of metaphor. So it starts out in the kind of central motif um, and, and compositional sort of centre of the picture. Mm -hmm. um, and you're presented with the idea that the protagonist or the gardener has been there at some point in time, but he's since moved on. But he's left little reminders about that. So you have the, the sort of semi-nurtured saplings that are trying to grow and somebody's staked them up and somebody's sort of put little protective um, wire around some of them and, and sort of looking after them. Mm. But then he's, he's, he's kind of left them to their own devices. So that idea is that once arriving at that central point of the picture, you're left to your own eye to discover where you're going to go. Mm -hmm. um, and, you're, and you're presented with two options, aren't you? The light side or the, the dark side. And there's, there's lots of things on the, on the light side that kind of lead you across and into the picture's Things like the you know the beautiful weeping cherry and this blossom tree with its new kind of green um, little growth on it, all signs of kind of prosperity and happiness and new life and yep. the spring and the renewal. clearing blue and renewal. Yeah, it's lovely golden um, gate with the manicured hedge, which is on the right hand side. So on the far right of the painting, yeah, there's a like a yeah a gate. Uh, lots of things. So, with, with your gates, so is that is the idea of that that you've got a choice that you can go through it or not? Yeah, there there, there are options and, and that you can explore the painting physically with your mm. eye, or or but broader scale, they're more about um, do I choose to go through that particular gateway in in my life? What does that represent mm. for you? What does mm. it represent? For me. Well, one of those, another interesting um, symbol you have in other paintings is a gate, a locked gate, and elsewhere in the painting will be the key to that gate. That's right. Um, what, what are you alluding to with that? Well, that, that idea, you know, and a lot of painting, um, you know, painting's born out of your own experience and born out of how, how what you bring into the studio and what you, how, how you're making your own work and what, what sort of baggage and what ideas you bring. So perhaps it's a reflection of me sort of inwardly looking to my own problems in some sense. <laughs> but, um, but it's the idea <laughs> that you, that, that you, um, uh, well, that, that the answer to that problem is it, back it, there. That's right. That we perhaps, um, rather than taking uh, the, the, the longer, more difficult route, in our lives, that there, there is probably a, a, a gate that we just need to walk through, metaphorically, but it's locked. And why is it locked? Um, that would change for all of us. But there is probably an answer to why it's locked. We just haven't brought it with us. 
And is that partly because we've lost our way? Is that the yeah. idea? Yeah, perhaps, yeah. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to do it as a kind of like a idea about preaching or, or, or sort of instructing or anything like that. It's more about just me being um, self-reflective and, mm. and, and interested. You know, basically, artists spend far too much time alone, right? So they're <laughs> <laughs> spending an enormous amount of time in their studio by themselves and, and the mind goes to, goes to work. Well, actually, you know, one of the main things in your paintings that I haven't mentioned is the trees. Mm. They're a huge part of the painting yeah. uh, because there's always a lot of trees and they're all different species. They're not species you'll necessarily see together in the natural yeah. environment. Well, that's probably the, the, the one of the things that does hark back to, to Dutch painters and that, uh, that early kind of still life movement that existed in the Netherlands where they would deliberately put... Um, things that didn't belong together in a, in a still life arrangement. Now we know that there's no way they could have actually done that because um, seasonally they, they wouldn't have had those fruits or flowers together. Mm. Um, I mean the Dutch were great explorers so there was certainly like a, a culture of bringing things that, that from different parts of the world onto the one table. Um, but what it tells us historically is that they were making an artifice, they were creating a picture for the sake of a picture, it wasn't, a, wasn't something they were just looking at in front of them. And so a deliberate device that I use in the picture is, is pulling trees and species from different places and different seasons um, from all over the place into the one picture. And that tells us that it's a creation. It's not a, it's not a en plein air view of mm. such and such. This is a world that I'm making. This is a, a, a place... Um, that is of born out of my imagination, mm. um, and the point of that is that it's there to to tell this story that exists within the painting, rather than be a view of such and mm. such. So, in other words, it's it's actually important that you have this incongruity in a way. Yes, yeah, because that's part it's of signalling. Uh, it's signalling. It's a sign that that, that that of course that doesn't really exist. Yeah, yeah right. The, the idea, the most of the trees is, is still about that idea as tree as as, as being a, a metaphor for the soul or the self. Um, they take you know multiple species because of. The, the shapes and the kind of things that that provides me as a mm. as an artist. So when the eye is directed and, and eventually ends up on this very light side and, and quite sunny and beautiful side of the painting um, and follows all those little signals and signposts, you end up at this very, very, very small pier off in the far distance. Mm. Um, but, Which again is on the far right of the painting, yep. But quite just beyond the pier is in fact a searchlight and the searchlight is pointing back across to the other side of the work. And if you follow the searchlight's direction, it actually arcs all the way across and picks up on lots of little other little signposts and other little searchlights and other little lampposts that lead you back into the very dark and stormy and threatening side of the work. And within that dark, threatening, stormy side of work is a single light. And so this, for me, it's sort of symbolic of that perhaps the, the search for this kind of beauty and, and um, sort of prettiness of life is, is perhaps not the answer and not what we need to be looking for, that perhaps the real answer lies in, in some of the darkness and the more um, 
deeper side of life. Mm. Mm. And also, I think you've got a lot of sparrows that are in the in the actual title. They're sort of dotted around, but they're tiny. And I think that's one of the really interesting things about your work is that there are so many things to discover that are really small. Mm. Um, uh, is that a deliberate thing that you're doing? Well, I love the idea that one could spend time with the work and, and really kind of live with the painting and, and continually find things and discover elements over time. Uh, I think, like we were saying before, I think it's a reaction against that kind of gestural sort of very brash kind of way of working that I wanted to make work that, that appealed on multiple different levels. So you could, mm. you could dive into it, you could spend time with it, you could discover things, you weren't going to become bored with it over time. Mm. Um, I was mm. always fascinated about that idea that art could speak on all those different levels um, and very work that you know, might have a beautiful aesthetic but doesn't tell stories or doesn't you know, lead you in a kind of thought into symbolism or spirituality or um, metaphor or all those mm. things was was not enough so I sort of really wanted to make work that can do that. Yeah well talking about spirituality you're probably the first artist that I've, I've interviewed for the podcast that where spirituality is, is quite prominent and important in your work and it's interesting to read about it I mean I don't know if you've found this but in Australia we're sort of a secular society and it's you just in mainstream media it's as if people don't want to say the word god yeah perhaps yeah, yeah. and uh it's do you find that it's hard to talk about that side of it in an open way uh yeah possibly possibly but i guess that's um something about being at a certain point in one's life where you know you don't really care anymore and you just need to be honest with what you do and what you make and where you come from um i don't think it's uh i don't think it, it's sort of a, a a simplistic thing where um you can kind of sum it up in one sentence um the spirituality is is yes incredibly important to me but i'm not coming at it from a point of view of having you know a whole bunch of answers or a whole bunch of solutions or or anything like that I'm it's it's a part of who I am but it is a, a part of my struggle and a part of my daily kind of um, something that I'm, I'm thinking about and and dealing with you know one's own mortality and what lies next is, is something that's mm. inevitable for every single one of us mm. um, so the idea of the because the, sh the I didn't mention the survey show is called the adventurous gardener so the idea of that the gardener that's not present in the painting anymore, but mm. he's been there, mm. is that you? Who, who is is there? Or you don't think about it that in those terms? No, no, I, I'm I'm not sure. I think the the unseen kind of protagonist that is in the, in most of the the work um, is it me? Uh, I don't know. I'd say maybe it's me. Maybe it's in fact God. Mm. Mm. So it's it's sort of possibly that. Um, that God is guiding you throughout that mm. landscape or throughout your life. Yeah, and well, that, well that's what, maybe that's what we want to happen. Maybe that's what we, we're looking for, is that mm. what we're trying to find, you know. Um, I, think, like I, was, I think it's simplistic to say that X equals Y. It's a, it's, a, it's a constant kind of discussion and a battle 
to get your head around it and I certainly have problems with that. So, mm. I mean, I, I, I said to a friend, I think, I think religion is, um, is a little bit like skiing. Like I really, I really like it and I believe in it. I'm just not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think any thinking person is always going to be grappling with ideas yeah. of those sort of ideas. That's and, right, um, yeah. It's, I think, yeah, it's an ongoing... And it's a pre- been a preoccupation for people who make art for, for, for centuries, so I don't feel like I'm um, doing it any better or any worse than anybody else has done it over the, over yeah. the time. Well, actually, it's, it's quite... Actually, it's, as you say, I mean, art and religion have gone hand-in-hand hand for centuries, and it's really quite surprising that, you know, it hasn't come up more often in my podcast, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah, or that right. painters aren't dealing with it more often, you know. Even mm. the Blake Prize, I mean, I think they broadened, which is a Australian art prize for a religious art prize. They've sort of broadened it to, to mm. mean more about, you know, a converse, they say, oh, a, a work that encourages conversation about spirituality yes. uh, yeah. and religion. And so... It's sort of almost it's moving deliberately on. secular, yeah. They're, yeah, they're trying yeah. to move it away yeah. from that, which is a, a uniquely maybe Australian actually um, take on all that. You don't have find that problem or that that take in the US or um, uh, in Muslim countries, no way. Um, in uh, in Buddhist countries uh, um, or in Asia and Shinto countries. Make art about that, if you like. It's mm. absolutely not a Yeah, we issue, could be the exception, I think. I think we are, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's no big deal saying God bless America in America. No. But no. if somebody said God bless Australia, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I, mm. But I find that spirituality just terribly engaging in your work. I just find it so interesting. Um, actually, one symbol we didn't talk about, which I, I'd like to talk about before we move on, is the, the use of red, mm. the colour red. Yes. Um, can you tell me about... Oh yeah, we're sitting right. I'm sitting right next to a huge arm, red armchair. Is that deliberate? Uh, that's my one piece of red in the room. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I use red in all the work, so you'll find it'll turn up in every painting. So, um, again, as a symbol and a metaphor, you know, red uh, as as a danger sign. Um, the the multiple kind of pathways that exist within the works, the multiple choices. Um, some of them I indicate with red, just as a as a as a a warning that perhaps that is not the right way um, to follow through the painting. Mm, mm. Um, sometimes I flip it just you know <laughs> for fun and and use red as a as a um, as in the Chinese way, which is the of good fortune and prosperity. So. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Right. So again, a duality that 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 all the symbols that we we look for and we use and we try and read are often not as simplistic as as being having a d- distinct meaning quite often they have a duality depending on where you, mm. what culture you look at them. well the use of the red is interesting also because it, it, it doesn't usually appear anywhere else it's only a tiny speck of it you mm. know here and there sort of a thing as is with the pink tree actually mm. that's quite a and that's only sort of appeared in your work in the last few years hasn't it yeah it's a recent thing yeah, yeah. Think, yeah. Um, mm. what's is there a, a symbolism behind that uh, well the 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 blossom in in, um, in culture in, in in Japanese culture and Chinese culture is all about new life, 
um, and um, and renewal and rebirth and all that kind of idea of of the new season and what that means mm. for people. But on a more pragmatic turn, someone gave me a chip of pink, um, which <laughs> I could never afford before. <laughs> Very expensive rose matter series four, and that's where it started. Couldn't waste it. Can't waste that pink. <laughs> um, do you think is it important for you that your purchasers know the meaning of the painting? I'm always happy to talk about it because paint the, I make the, the, the pictures with a distinct meaning and distinct purpose. Um, I, I never bought into the idea that is that some people talk about that you know the pictures are left to the viewer to interpret it. I, I don't. My um, my work is is deliberately about something, yeah. you know, quite distinct, and it is from this from the initial kind of sketches, from the initial idea it, that comes, and that arrives, uh, the work exists in that mm. form. Yeah, let's talk about that because it's fascinating, because uh, the the process you use um, is is like no other that I've heard of any other artist talk about. So can can you talk about how how you do come up well with your ideas? Well, I use these little sketchbooks and I've been doing this for years and years and years and I have, you know, literally hundreds of them. Um, these are bigger ones stay in the studio, but these little ones live next to my bed. Oh, right. So we've got the little spiral ones, which are like about sort of 15 centimetres. The page is about 15 centimetres long and then the larger ones are probably about like 25 centimetres yeah, or eight, something. Yeah, is yeah. it A4? Oh, is it? Oh, no, no, A5. A4. A5. A5. A5, yeah. yeah. A5. A5. Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. So I, I just make these little tiny thumbnail sketches. And oh, wow. They're interest in pencil and they're about the size of a kind of a big stamp, I suppose. Yeah, or a credit card. Or a credit card, yeah, some of them. Yeah, right. And there's, and there's like three or four there's to a page. Three or four to a page and there's literally hundreds and hundreds yes. of them. And you how many of those sketchbooks have you got? A, a lot. <laughs> um, we, should, we have a few in the survey show um, that, for people to look at. Um, but that whole map drawer there is full of them. Oh, wow. And what happens is I, I quite often at the weirdest times have an image of a fully formed, completed work jump into my head. So it's kind of at the back of my head and it appears in colour, fully rendered, usually in an empty room um, on, a back, on the back wall. So, so when you say the back of your head, what do it's you about, mean? It feels like it's here. So, so you're pointing to the mid back of your head. Yeah, right. and, and it is completely, it's not a little kind of snippet of anything. It is, it is, it is on the perimeters of the canvas, fully formed, um, and it just arrives. And so I quickly make a note of it as fast as I can. Um, and would this happen to you during the day? Sometimes, yeah, early morning, um, sometimes in the night. Um, and I make all these little notes, and I and I sometimes oh. I write a key word next to it, like dark or you know green or dramatic or mm. something. So they're like they're they're like a thumbnail sketch, like a, bit a, scum, more, a bit more sketch. of a yep. detail. And one we're looking at at the moment that is for more than many sparrows is is remarkably similar to the the final result. It's remarkably similar, isn't it? Look, you can oh. see the light side and the dark side. The central motif is pretty much the same. Yep. These, these sort of foreground rocks are pretty much the same. The trees creeping in from the left, yeah. the pink tree, um, the sky clearing up here. Even this little sort of 
slip of sand that's creeping across mm. on the right hand side is in the is in the little thumbnail sketch and I, I just go from that little idea because when I look at that I can remember what I saw in my head can you so you, it'll come back to it you it comes back to me and I'll sketch the painting and I'll start working up the image onto the much much bigger canvas as which, you're doing which, by that. the way, is I know, you know, I was saying to you before, I expected, you know, to be gridding up or something or other, but this is all totally freehand. Totally, yeah, just freehand, just with a bit of um, sort of slightly kind of washed down paint, a bit of terpsy paint, yeah. and just start drawing and start working it. Now, as you, as you start that, of course, what happens is the image starts to dissolve in your mind. <laughs> and so you have to work actually very, very quickly to get it up onto the canvas. Why do you, when you say it starts dissolving, is it because you're you're putting something down and it's interfering? It's, it's some something happening with the process between what what I'm imagining or, or or remembering. I'm not quite sure, but as you start to do it, it starts to go. Um, so there's this very rapid, super fast process at the beginning of every work where I'm, I'm in a mad rush to get it down as quick as possible. The composition, The basically. composition, the colour, the, the, just the feel of what is going on. Mm. So and just going back briefly to that, to getting the, the image in your head, uh, is it something that just comes unsolicited? Yeah. So it's yeah. not triggered by sort of you were thinking about it or whatever? No. I mean, you know, obviously I've thought about this for a <laughs> what is actually going on. Is, is it a memory? I mean, it is something. I mean, I'm, I, I'm quite interested in the way we selectively remember things. So perhaps I've, you know, looked at different places and I'm looking at some of my material that I've got here, books and photographs and things, and then it's kind of jumbled up in my head and come out like that. Mm. Um, so I've, I've picked and pulled certain things from different um, places or different um, ideas or different elements and they've all reformed in my mind to become yeah, this yeah. other thing. Now, I'm going to take you somewhere totally different. Well, not that different because landscape is still an element of it, but I want to talk about your portraiture because you're a six-time Archibald finalist uh, and all your subjects have been very creative people. Tony Collette, Richard Roxburgh, Andrew Upton, Richard Clapton, Sarah Blasco, Maclean Edwards. But I'm going to single out a portrait that I particularly like, which actually didn't make Archibald uh, finalist, which is astonishing, can I say? And that is your 2014 portrait of Matt Corby, who is well-known. He's an excellent uh, singer and songwriter. He was famously a contestant on Australian Idol, which I think um, uh, he sometimes regrets. I think he said recently he regrets having been on that. Uh, it was sort of at the height of the popularity of that show. But that's when he came to my attention. I remember just being totally blown away by his voice um, and uh, he seemed such an impressive person. Anyway, this portrait is fantastic. Um, he's, um, he seems to be... He, he, he's, he's standing on the edge of what appears to be a lake to me, but anyway, it's a body of water, and he's in a T-shirt. He's looking straight at the viewer, but... His wrists are bound together by rope and that rope extends up up his torso as well and then leads out of the, of the canvas on the right-hand side. 
why did you choose well can, can you tell me a bit about the portrait but I'm also interested in why you chose to portray him in that way when I when I make a portrait of somebody that I, I admire I try and you know you chat to them and you, you have this kind of dialogue and and conversation and you hopefully try and get some insight into them but I was always um, interested in Matt because I thought he was an incredibly gifted singer and songwriter and um, mm. but he was in my view not had his full potential yet uh, when this was done so I had this sense and this idea that he it's he's about to kind of do something great with his work but he needs to be sort of let loose a little bit from from his past in a way um and from from you know other elements that exist in his life so this idea about him being kind of slightly restrained oh i see um and i felt that a little bit you know from him so I had this idea of, of him being bound, but it's, he's bound not in a not in a kind of tight way. It's a mm. very very loose mm. way. It's, that's right. I mean, it looks as though he could just he could easily just easily yeah, take it off. That's but, right. But, but he hasn't yet, and he's got his hands open there, just sort of like he's almost ready to receive this kind of next kind of stage of his life, and mm. he's very open to it. But he just needs to kind of shed that little shackles that are that are holding him back Mm. and how did you I mean did it take a long time to to come up with that pose I mean did it take a lot of consideration and not really I mean I I, I generally I have these kind of ideas or this this inspiration for for something before the session okay Um, so I you know when Matt came I literally tied him up (laughs) (laughs) Did he? Did he? He was very open, and he was great. You know, and and that's happened with all with all of the portraits. Yeah, I, 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 you know, had Richard on a bike in his house, and I had Andrew, you know, in his office pretending to row a boat. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's quite strange, you know, and and they must think I'm completely bonkers, but. Yeah, well, they've always got you've always got that water in there somewhere. Most yeah. of them, I think Tony Collette maybe didn't have well, water. She was holding the boat, so ah, oh, that's hadn't. right. Yeah, right. Mm. Um, so that's obviously an important part. Of, you 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 like having the water, always having water in your paintings. Yeah, well, water is a symbol of kind of onward journey and travel and movement. Um, that that there is there is you're about to set out and you're about to leave and you're about to go forth and explore and. And, and move, you know, as a metaphor for in this in the portraits case in for, for these creatives for their work and their whatever their chosen field is. Mm. Um, in the in the landscape work for me, it's about um, it's about purification and, and renewal and rebirth and and all those um, symbols. I mean, water's been used for, for centuries as a as a symbol of um, baptism and kind of cleanliness and refreshment and, and all those kind of nourishing things. So I like the idea that that the landscape is part of that, so it becomes um, heavily symbolic in the landscape work, but in mm. the portraits, yeah, I've been using that yeah, a right. lot. 
I'd, I'd like your opinion on um, art prizes because you've been, you know, apart from the Archibald, you've also been selected in the win, I think, nine times. And that on some years you've been, so the win and the Archibald are both in the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So um, on several occasions you've had an Archibald and a win um, hanging on the walls over there. How do you find that whole experience? Uh you know, I, I love, I think, anything that's talk, where people are talking about art and talking about painting and, and revolving around that as their centre is, is wonderful. You know, I think I'm not, a, I'm not a kind of football guy or a cricket guy, so anything where there's a, art is on, I'll, I'll, I think it's wonderful. And the, yeah. the biggest enjoyment out of it for me, I think, is, is, is being able to go in and talk and relate to the other artists. The artist lunch yeah. that that exists before the Archibald was always my favourite event. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, you just get to, to be able to talk and, and catch up with other artists. Because there it's aren't wonderful. many places that you can no, meet them, is there? Not really. Most of the artists are fairly um, isolated, you know, or working hard in their studios, and so getting together is is, mm. is wonderful. Mm. Um, and that's the big plus of it. Yeah, exactly. We did talk a bit about your process when we were talking about how, you know, getting the idea, getting it down on the sketchbook and then translating that to the canvas. But I want to talk a little bit more about how you start, like, with, because I understand you start from a raw canvas. Is That's that right? right. Yeah. Can you yeah. tell me a bit about how you prepare it? Because it's, uh, it's pretty astounding. I don't think many people do this. Sure. Um, well, I start, like, as you said, with a raw linen, um, and then I use a very traditional way of preparing the surface so that starts with uh, rabbit skin glue size which really really does come from rabbit skin <laughs> I didn't know that uh, you know I read that and you, you have to apply it hot and you cook it um, so wait a second okay mm. so you get rabbit skin glue already yes it's been crystallized so yeah. you can move it and, and right. then you have to dissolve it in water yep and heat it and cook it uh, and it forms like a size and a size is 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 what glue was before they made glue. Mm -hmm. um, and basically what that does is it, it, it isolates or sizes the individual fibres of the linen mm -hmm. and protects it and allows it to take subsequent layers of the oil prime, which is the next step. Okay, so the oil prime is, you know, unlike obviously gesso or whatever. Yeah. It's, no, so it's, it's, it's the traditional way of preparing linen canvas mm, for, mm. for oil paint. So gesso, in fact, was designed for um, preparing wood, not canvas. Oh, okay. So what is the advantage of having the oil prime? Well, you, you're getting a, um, a, a service that is completely um, stable to before you start to paint, so you don't have any problems with um, the archival nature of the piece. Um, it's fast drying and, and it, it, it reflects and refracts light from the beginning. So you get this, this interaction between the subsequent layers and the prime rather than the prime um, absorbing and sucking the oil out of the beginnings of the oil painting, which is what gesso would do. Ah. And when you take oil out of oil paint, what you're left with is pigment. It's actually the oil itself that is binding the pigment together. If you change the dynamics and the chemistry of the oil paint, it will no longer bond together. 
So what's the practical effects of that if you put it on gesso? Is it going to look different? Is, it going to, is that the idea of the sinking of the colour? You get sinking, which is absorption that's happening oh, um, through the subsequent layers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that whole process must be quite time-consuming. Yeah, it's enormously time-consuming. <laughs> you can see my floor in the studio is completely <laughs> destroyed from... From glue and prime. Oh, yeah, and I can see this all This is about the fourth floor I've had in here because I keep having to replace it. Oh, what, it actually damages the floor? Yes, yeah, just completely destroyed the concrete that's underneath and everything, yeah. So when you, you know you've got a show coming up, you're going to prime X number of canvases. So that's that right, and prepare just, those. And, yeah. and you also becomes a kind of a, a spiritual and a kind of, a, a metaphoric investment in the work, if you like, in some mm. level, you become connected to what you're making from the from the outset, and you become you're thinking about the work from the sort of its its origin, you know. Mm. So I feel very very bonded to the pictures oh, by okay. that point, you know. Oh, that's interesting. So when you've got it standing there, ready to launch yes, into it, I've, you've already connected. I've already with it. connected, and I've already thought about it, and I've already kind of imagining what. It's going to what's going to be there at that point before I start work, mm. and then comes this layering and layering of of um, of paint in various layers depending on where you're at to build up the surface. Right. So, would there be some areas where you're going to be glazing, and other areas where it's just going to be just the thick paint? Yeah, I mean, painting is a little bit. The process that I use is, is is a little bit like a like like a building some sort of layered cake. So you start with foundation layers and then you're gradually building them up and up and up before you get to glazing layers and then they go up and up and up and then you get sort of varnishing layers on top. Um, so it's important to think about the way it's constructed and, and to use the right materials or the right mediums depending on what layer you're at. Oh, okay. So, so do you use a whole uh, like sort of... Um Fatter and thinner, yeah. leaner mediums. So you've got a whole range Fat that you would use. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, I'm one thing I also I'm always interested in asking too, and and because you do have lots of dark areas in your in a lot of your paintings, is whether you use black. Right. No. Don't own a tube. I didn't think so. <laughs> no. All the darks are really blue brown. Right. Um, mixed together. Oh, okay. Yeah. I actually paint the whole of the works slightly higher key than they than they appear um, in the kind of alaprima layers. And then what happens, and that allows me to kind of to put information in there. So you get a lot of the kind of hidden detail, the obscured forms happening in the corners or in the dark passages of the picture. Um, once that is dried, I actually glaze over them and I'll glaze them down in tone. And that kind of hides them and buries ah. them in this tone. And you can also control how much they're That's going right. to be. You can control obscured. that yeah. with, with the, the how much uh, pigment you introduce into a glaze. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Because when we were looking at the gallery, you know, a couple of hours ago, um, at those gargoyles. Mm. Um, so to paint them in that tone would be almost impossible. Exactly. I was yeah. thinking I can hardly make them out. Yes. And I thought, you know, how did you do that? Because the tones are so close to each That's other. That's right. So you paint them higher key and then the glaze ah, is the tone, what tones them down. That's a really good tip. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Secrets revealed. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, now, that's right. I just briefly, I know artists don't really want to talk about how long it takes them to paint a painting, but I'm, you know, people are usually interested, right? So I, I was just looking on your Instagram page, and um, somebody 
I think somebody commented on a bit and you said, oh, yes, I've been working. I think it was a small part of the Many Sparrows painting, like a, quite a small part. And you said, yeah, I've been working on this for about a month, mm. <laughs> that section. <laughs> yeah, they do take a long time. And, but you can see how I'm having the studio multiple things going at once. So yeah. I, yeah. Because so we've of the got nature about of four, five that are out at the moment propped up on um, milk crates. Yep. So I'll move from one to the other depending on what stage they're at. And because of the way I work, the, the oil needs to dry in between subsequent layers. So you, you really do have to move from one to another. You can't work on one the next day because it'll be wet. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so when you say a month, it doesn't mean every day for eight hours a day? On no, the, the big work that, was in the, that is in the survey show, um, we made a time-lapse video of. Uh, which is quite yeah. incredible to watch. It is. It's um, amazing. They, they, they zipped it right down to a minute. And, yeah. of course, you know, when my, when my kids saw that, they said, well, it only took a minute. Why didn't you make two? <laughs> <laughs> In reality, it took me, you know, six months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did they actually get the whole thing down to a minute? They took it down to a minute. Oh, so I think I did see it on Instagram. Is it anywhere else other than Instagram because uh, so people can see it? Because it's amazing. It's on your Instagram it's on my page. Web, I think we put it on my website. On the website as yeah, well, yeah. As well. Well, I, I really recommend people have a look at it. My tech support incredible. did that for me. Oh, did they? <laughs> You're not As in my teenagers. Savvy. It's very handy having a, a tech-savvy teenager. It is. <laughs> They also teach you how to download podcasts, by the way. They do. That's how I, that's how I found this one. <laughs> do they? Oh, it's surprising how many people don't know how to do it, no, which is fair enough. Know. I mean, if you don't, if somebody no, doesn't don't. show you, it's quite difficult. Mm, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that is really, it's fascinating seeing those time-lapse videos. Yeah, it makes yeah. it look all so easy. And you've got a show coming up at Martin Brown Contemporary uh, in uh, November. So we're, we're recording this in 2018. So uh, November 2018, Martin Brown Contemporary. It's called Scene Across Water. Yes. Um, and I presume these paintings that we're looking at right now are in the process of, of going That's there. right. If, yeah. they, if they get finished in time, they will be in the show. <laughs> do you have to, with a show, do you have to say to Martin, okay, I'm going to have X number of paintings or... No, not, not really. I mean, it, it's, it's about just making sure that I'm 100% happy with all the work that's in the show. So mm. there's lots of pictures that, that get made or get half made that don't make the show. Um, oh, really? Yeah, because I'm very careful about what I show and what I put out there. Um, I had a difficult year, not so bad this year, but last year was a very difficult year, and... I actually slashed quite a few works um, after after being on them for several months. It's, uh, just well, you mean happy. when you say slash, you mean actually... I mean Stanley Knife right through no. the middle. Yeah. Quite... What, because you just weren't happy? I just weren't. I just couldn't get them to work and I refused to let them out of the studio. So, oh, um, that's quite drastic. It was. I'm sure plenty of people would have liked that painting. <laughs> I know, but that, that's the thing. I, I just yeah. you can't you don't let want it, it out, out there. if I'm not um, completely happy with what the work is and I just can't, it just can't exist so mm. um so I just Martin's very generous you know I, I whatever I can make and and I'm happy with that that's what the show is going to be mm. oh well good luck with that I'm sure it's going to be fantastic and thank you so much for having me here in your studio and I really enjoyed seeing the survey show today with you it's and, and we've made a video so everyone has to go and has to go to YouTube and have a look at that as soon as that's online um, and good luck with your show. 
Thank you. Thanks, Maria. What a great artist. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alexander McKenzie. Don't miss the survey show at Hazelhurst Gallery if you're in Sydney. Um, also, his solo show will be at Martin Brand Contemporary in November. I'll be also getting a short video of Alexander talking about his work in the gallery on YouTube and Facebook soon. And I've also started putting those videos up on the website too, so you can find them there. I'll let you know when that video is online um, through social media, which is Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or however else you get your podcasts. And thanks again to all those people who have uh, rated and reviewed the show on iTunes. It really helps get the podcast out to more people. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. Art is about what you're compelled to do, what you, you don't really have a choice to do it, it feels like, for lots of artists, they, they have to do that. I've read a lot of biography in, as well, and um, I've, I've read a lot about writers talking about the same thing, is they just have to, do, it's in them, they just have to put it down, there's not really a choice in the matter. <laughs>